Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey listeners, I have one more episode left for you this season, a little holiday special, if you will. Before we get to that, I have a small favor to ask again. If you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be so delighted if you could take a moment and write a review for the podcast. I'd love to get the new year started with some fresh reviews on this particular platform. And of course, Special thanks to my Patreons, and welcome to new Patreons who joined this month. There will be bonus content from today's episode on Patreon, so if that is something that might interest you, check out patreon.com forward slash podcast. And now, here's what's coming up in today's episode. Uh, my f- client friend Van bought a Lagoon 50, only two or three years old and uh, got insurance to sail it to Hawaii with his captain friends. He just emailed me, said, help, we're ready to leave for Tahiti and we can't find anyone who will insure us to sail to Tahiti from Hawaii, even though we're all licensed, super experienced multi-hull captains. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liveaboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. Today, we have John Neal from Mahina Offshore Services back on the podcast, and we talk about a number of things within the sailing industry, which seems to be constantly changing. John recently visited the South Pacific and discovered a few interesting things about that market. We talk about challenges with offshore insurance and some potential solutions to that. 
John shares his takeaways from this year's Annapolis Boat Show. And of course, we talk about the state of the used sailboat market for anyone who's looking to buy a boat these days. This episode is again jam-packed with tips and advice. And a heads up, John has added a new product offering to his business, and I think you will like it. Now, here is my chat with John Neal. So great to talk to you again. And I know you spent some time in New Zealand and the South Pacific just recently at the start of their sailing season. And right here, I'm looking at a very snowy scenery out the window uh, as we record this. So please, can we talk a little bit about the South Pacific, <laughs> that part of the world a little bit? Uh, what were you actually doing there? I know you sent some lovely photos and updates from there. So what were you doing there? Multiple things. I At the start of COVID, when I, Amanda and I could no longer run sail training expeditions, we had to leave New Zealand. New Zealand, as you know, was severely uh, restricted as to who could come. And so I ended up selling Mahina Tiari 3, the boat I had built 26 years ago and sailed equivalent of nine times around the world with students aboard. I sold that to one of my consultation clients from Toronto. We completed everything, the survey, um, everything but the sea trial. And I promised him a week of training on the boat, which was super valuable for him. And so this was the first time that we could both go to New Zealand together legally and go and I could introduce him to Mahina Tiari and train him. He sailed with me for two expeditions in Scotland this past summer. So he knew my program for navigation and risk of risk mitigation, et cetera. So that worked really well. It was quite a crush to unload 26 years of uh, living on the boat uh, very quickly into one suitcase was all I took away from the boat. And uh, so that was all done. And we had a fabulous sail up the coast of New Zealand to my favorite anchorage, which is an abandoned whaling station, Wangamumu, in the northern part of New Zealand, just south of the subtropical Bay of Islands. So the water was warm enough to dive in and swim and snorkel. And now when I'm looking out, not as at as much snow as you are, but I'm looking out at steady snowfall, that was a real special time. For me, a huge bonus was flying up to the Cook Islands, which I first sailed to 1975. And I have relatives and have a ton of friends there. And it was the home port of Mahina Tiari. And it's the base of um, Cook Island Yacht Squadron slash Maritime Cook Islands, which is an offshore registry, which I used for my own vessel and for a lot of my clients. I needed to meet with the people of the yacht registry, but mostly I went there for fun. And while I was there, a 75-foot Polynesian voyaging canoe arrived with 18 students and some Polynesian master navigators. They had sailed without instruments 120 miles from Rarotonga to this island to expose the Cook Island Maori kids to the traditional Polynesian navigation. They arrived there, and it was amazing. I had just seen the boat in Rarotonga two days earlier. So it was amazing to look offshore and see a Polynesian voyaging canoe that could have been from 500, 700 plus years ago, anchored offshore and to meet some of the kids. And anyway, so it was just 
it was a quiet time in my uh, life and in my business. And so I was, I'm going to do it every year because it's uh, not expensive and it's just keeps me in touch with, with the island. But I kind of digress there. Uh, part of the, part of my reason for going there as well was to talk with cruisers and to talk with the Marine support industry people in New Zealand and just find out what's going on because a ton of my clients and students are arriving in New Zealand as we speak. So the interesting thing was the volume. Normally New Zealand sees 400 foreign boats arriving in the cruising season. So cyclone season in the South Pacific starts around Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, but roughly there for sure by December 1st, all insurance companies are saying you are no longer insured if you get into trouble because they're using Jimmy Cornell's world cruising routes, just like you and I are using for planning seasons. And they say, well, this is when the cyclones are happening and you are at risk. And we don't want to assume that risk. We have the added factor of El Nino La Nina, the warming or cooling of the Pacific Basin water. Right now we're in an almost unheard of third La Nina, meaning colder than normal water in the Pacific, which means fewer squalls, almost no squalls, fewer tropical cyclones. The uh, flip side of that is sadly an increase in Caribbean and Atlantic hurricanes, more damaging earlier, later. Um, so this is actually going to be a very, very mild season from the forecasters and Met Service I talked to in the Pacific Basin. There have been no, even though now we're almost at Christmas, so we're at least a month into the South Pacific cyclone season, there have been none. I wouldn't want to be in the Caribbean this cyclone season unless I was down in Grenada or further south, Trinidad, etc. So it was interesting seeing how many more boats were coming. A tiny bit of that was because of boats that have been um, restricted to Tahiti or Fiji and now they can go to New Zealand and Australia. So a small bit of that was, but from the people in the industry that I talked to, a lot of it were new cruisers who have just left the Caribbean, Florida, the West Coast, and are just arriving, coming through the Pacific for the first time. There's also more rallies than ever. And so there was an Outremer rally with, I think, eight or 10 Outremer million dollar catamarans. And one of the tradespeople I talked to said it was a hoot. They all arrived at the custom stock almost sim simultaneously. They all had drones flying. They put their electric bikes on the dock at the same time. And then they were very, they weren't there long. And then they all headed down south toward Auckland. And so as we were sailing up the coast of New Zealand, this is two weeks ago, one after another, after another of these million dollar Outremer Catarans came smoking by. <laughs> it was quite funny. What was uh, kind of not surprising, but a little bit disconcerting, was the level of activity at the marine trades shops, at the boatyards, at the engine repair people, the welders, the electronics repair. They are all totally snowed under. And the boatyard capacity with 200 more boats, New Zealand is a small country, but it's world famous for doing refits. So people refit 150 foot mega yachts. They come specifically there and they'll spend 
on one refit multiple millions of dollars. But small boat cruisers like you and I will come there. And by the time we've sailed from Europe or from the Caribbean to the South Pacific, we all need repairs done. We need to replace windlasses. We need some work done on the engine. We need to replace or repair sails, rigging. You know, the list goes on. It's just that that many miles, you've sailed the minimum of 10,000 miles to get there, 8,000, 9,000 miles. There's just stuff that needs to be done. So everybody was booked up. The boatyards were all full. The marinas were full. And so the smart ones were the people who made reservations ahead of time for dry storage or for in the water storage. Yeah, so that was, it was interesting. Prices in New Zealand have not gone up. The New Zealand economy relies more than anyone wants to admit on tourism. And so you can imagine with no overseas tourists for almost three seasons, the country's hurting. And so, yeah, there's lots of, um, marinas are all expanding as they can. There are not berths for catamarans, although they're trying to be accommodated, but it's just that when you think of eight 50-foot catamarans, they take up two slips. Every one takes two slips. And you say, well, great, I'll anchor out. Well, there are limited options, whether you're cruising the Med or Pacific, there are limited options for anchoring out and getting work done. You know, it just doesn't, you've got to be in a marina. So that was interesting. Um, I didn't get to Australia this trip. I'm thinking about flying there next trip or maybe before that, just to understand what's going on there. From the clients that I have in Australia, and I get more and more, Live Aboard Sailing Podcast is really popular with Aussies. How they found out about it, I don't know, but uh, there are lots of Aussies that want to go cruising. And they there is a very limited market. You think the market in Canada and in the U.S. is skimpy for offshore-appropriate cruising boats is way worse in Australia. And so the market for selling your cruising boat in Australia is stronger than ever. And so I think I may have, might have mentioned that on the podcast I did about buying, buying low and selling high. Um, I have customs brokers and yacht brokers in Australia. And my goal is always to have my clients' boats sold before they get to Australia. Hook them all into that system because... Uh, it's just, it works. So that's South Pacific. Yeah, that was, those were really interesting observations, how the world is finally open again. Uh, and that is certainly showing up as bent up demand in the number of boats coming in, the number of boats needing repairs, yet there's a limited supply of people in boatyards who do that work. So certainly some advanced planning is needed then. And uh you mentioned the the beautiful islands there in the South Pacific, and it's kind of reassuring to still hear that there are places that are those, you know, actually off the beaten path, because it feels like the world is getting a little bit smaller and smaller all the time. So it's always nice to daydream about those actually remote islands where it what is what you would picture, you know, in your daydreams, a nice little island with a few people and nobody else. <laughs> well, Annika, the interesting thing is, when we get more people involved in the cruising rallies, they are fast trackers. They are not interested in going to the places that you and I are interested that are off the beaten path. So if you have the self-sufficiency in terms of water, fuel, 
and food, the off the beaten path places are the ones that are, I think, the, the total gems. And they are not overcrowded at all. And that's the good news. Um, places like Papietti are bursting at the seams. New Zealand is bursting at the seams. But the anchorages, the really cool anchorages are not. So yeah, it's all, it's, there's good news. There's changes, you know, change is the only constant, but it's good. It's good news. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I did have a question. You mentioned that strategy of sort of buying a boat in say North America and Europe and then selling it in Australia and New Zealand, uh, ideally before the boat even gets there. So at what point do you basically mean that one would list the boat before you start your um, Pacific crossing and no, before you start your final crossing. So you'd list the boat while you're in Fiji. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. Yep. So there are yacht brokers in New Zealand and Fiji and in Australia. But New Zealand and Australia are the best markets. Fiji's complicated. We don't have any trustworthy surveyors there. So you have to fly up surveyors from Australia or New Zealand, which is expensive. Everything is more complicated. It does happen. It does work. I've had clients buying and selling boats there all the time. Not all the time, but on a fairly steady basis. But the New Zealand and Australia are just totally set up for it. Since there are customs brokers, now these are private agents not working for the government, but since there are professionals whose job is to expedite the import of your boat, helping you jump through all the legal hoops, Australia has the most, um, and just smoothing the way smoothing your interaction with customs, uh, that really is totally worth its weight in gold. And then there are yacht brokers in New Zealand and Australia who specialize in selling foreign boats. And so just hooking up with them is really good. Well, you've done uh, actually a fair bit of travel this fall because you were also at the, uh, if we're zooming back to North America, you were also at the Annapolis Boat Show. And I missed that because I was in Europe at that time. But uh, since you've been to quite a few um, boat shows in your days, uh, what were your key takeaways from this year's uh, Annapolis Boat Show? Anything interesting to report uh, from there? Lots of interesting things. And I think the most interesting comment I heard of all was from Pete McGonigal, who teaches with me, has taught with me for almost 20 years in the Offshore Cruising Seminar. He is a... Um, uh, professional mariner. He has a million miles as an officer on ships, as well as being a super experienced sailor and a graduate of Kings Point United States Mer Merchant Marine Academy. Super guy. And he owns Swiftsure Yachts, or he's just, yeah, he's one of the founders. And I heard someone ask him about, are you going to do uh, X boat shows? And he said, you know, in all of North America, this is the only boat show that I'm going to do because everyone in North America and also in Europe ends up coming to this show if they're interested in getting an ocean cruising boat. The show owners, I know the three owners of the Annapolis Boat Show, they are all key figures in the marine industry and they are the brightest, smartest people you can imagine. They invited, they understand the whole thing that Delos started of video bloggers. They set up a whole area right at the entrance of the show, at the main entrance. They had a huge stand that was probably 30 meters, 40 meters long with multiple 
tables, you know, one long table, but multiple chairs set up. And Delos was there. Andy and Mia from 59 North were there. La Vagabond were there with their boat, their Outremer catamaran. I think they're getting a new boat now. But they, they had time slots that they would be there. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people there to meet these. And then they would give them time slots to do seminars as well. And so that was the most amazing thing. The huge interest and surge in offshore cruising on your own boat, I think, has been brought about by two primary factors, demographics and money. And then the biggest factor is Delos and La Vagabond and Rand Sailing and all these. I have people signing up for expeditions, join me in different countries around the world who have never, from the middle of Texas, from Kansas, from people who've never grown up around boats, they say, yeah, I, I started watching these these video and started listening to your Live Aboard Sailing podcast. And this is all I can think about. It's my boat porn. I can't wait to sell my business. I can't wait to take. And a lot of the people are like you and Adam. They are 30 years old. They're saying, we're going to take some time out. We don't want to be part of the rat race anymore. We may come back and join it, or we may do something else, but we want to have our adventure while we're young and healthy and have the energy. That is so intelligent because I hear, you know, I've been doing this for 50 years. I've been helping people on their dream, realize their dream for 50 years. And so many people leave it too long and they don't have the energy. By the time they get to the end of preparing the boat, especially if they buy a boat that's 25 or 30 or 40 years old, they have no more steam. They have mo no more dream. They have no more energy. They just blew it. They waited too long or they bought the wrong boat or a combination of the two. So I've seen a lot of young people and that's what I saw at the Annapolis Boat Show. I saw a lot of people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, but a lot more people, a lot more young people, which is a very, I think, exciting and welcome change to the whole marine scene because talking to people about their grandkids when they're getting ready to go cruising is is great you know that's cool fantastic good on them the coolest thing they can do is invite their grandkids to come and sail with them but it's really fun to talk to people who are young and energetic like julie and geo and it, this is a dream and they're going to do it all they're not just going to go sit in a, in a marina they're going to be diving snorkeling kiteboarding climbing up the volcano. And so that's, it's really fun for me to work with that level of people. So that's the biggest change. It was so that something I started um, several years ago is doing a walkabout at the Annapolis show. And so I, I download the show map, find out where all of the top suppliers to us, to the people who want to go offshore, like Sailrite kits that do the sewing machines, Hydrovane, the people doing uh, batteries, electrical systems. Anyway, I make a map up of it and I invite everybody online through the social media to join me for a walkabout. And we spend almost a whole day. Uh, it was originally going to be an hour, then two hours um, going from place to place. And I just introduce the people who are walking with me and just say, okay, here's Hydrovane. Will and Sarah are cruisers. They've got two young twin boys they leave their boats in greece right now and they come back anyway they make hydrovane which is the one of the best and monitor vein as well 
super good windy. And if you're not going to have a crew of six students like I have and don't want to just rely on an autopilot, you need to talk to these guys. And then, so we just quickly go around the whole show that way. And this time we had one of my ex-students um, arranged a lunch place. And so we all sat for lunch and then we continued on. And so it was really fun. And then an insurance company that I've used invited us to start the whole walkabout before the show opened in her booth and had hot coffee and all kinds of fresh baked goods for for the walkabout. So it's just called Mahina Walkabout. It'll be at the Annapolis show. I don't have the dates in front of me, but it's mid-October. And it's just a fun way to... So I've been in this industry for a long time. And when I see people who are super honest and who are dedicated to providing the best service and the best products for cruisers, I just want to make sure they're successful. And so that's why I like to introduce you guys to them. So... It's, it was really good. Oh, and then the one last thing. One of uh, one of my students, two guys who are who just left yesterday for the Caribbean on a boat I helped find and who were in that seminar, they turned me on to a new insurance guy named Hugo. Hugo worked for Lloyd's of London in London and worked on mega yachts and knows all the players worldwide in the insurance business. And he helped them get insurance when I didn't think anyone could help them qualify because they're pretty new boat owners. They don't have any or not a lot of ocean experience, but he has programs like another contact of mine where he knows exactly what the insurance underwriters want to hear. And so for them, he made them sign that they would hire a professional training skipper for 50 hours of training. And then they would qualify for offshore insurance. And it was really good for them. It was on their own boat, which was fabulous. It included offshore work. And then they qualified for a really good U.S. underwriter, A-plus best rated insurance carrier underwriter. So this is something that is a new important thing. Yeah, that is quite interesting because 50 hours, that's, you know, even if you do eight hours a day, it's less than a week of appropriate training that is certainly good to have anyway. But certainly if it helps you get insurance, that makes it all the easier. Because I've talked to a lot of people on the podcast who are new boat owners. They don't have a lot of experience because they they are, you know, these people that you mentioned who got the inspiration from YouTube and they don't live somewhere where they were boating opportunities, so they go, they buy a boat, and then they learn on it. And then it's like, oh, insurance. Wow, that turned out to be really difficult. Um, so I've talked to a lot of people like that. So having any kind of, you know, little ace up on the sleeve like this is definitely good to know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are you ready for the bad news? Oh, of course. We're talking about insurance. I'm always expecting bad news. We're talking about insurance in the Pacific, yeah, the insurance in the Pacific Basin. So I sent a guy named Van, who, who's a lifelong sailor, lives on the island of Maui. All of his neighbors and buddies are involved in a famous yacht day trip charter company that's been around. I knew the parents who founded it in the mid-70s. So that's been going since then. They, they own and operate three huge catamarans and do day sails from Lahaina, Maui to the island of Lanai, where they own a base. And they've just done a fabulous job. Well, anyway, these guys are all phenomenally experienced. They're all licensed, um, maybe 200 ton captains. Well, uh, my client friend, Van, bought a Lagoon 50, only two or three years old. There was a feeding frenzy. He just barely nabbed that one. It was a full price plus offer deal and uh, got insurance to sail it to Hawaii with his captain friends. He just emailed me, said, help, we're ready to leave for Tahiti. And the guy who you recommended, Hugo, cannot insure us. And we can't find anyone who will insure us to sail to Tahiti from Hawaii, even though we're all licensed, super experienced multi-hull captains. And so I just got off the phone three minutes before I talked with you with Hugo and said, Hugo, what's the deal? And he said, Pacific Basin in the last six months, and I think you already know this, has been become almost untouchable for underwriters. And I said, why has there been a lot of losses? He says, I am not exactly sure why. He said, no U.S. carriers that he knows of will underwrite in the Pacific. And so I said, what about European carriers? What about London-based carriers? And he said, yes, the one that you work with that used to insure Mahinatiari will. He said, but I'm not willing to sell those policies. And he wouldn't, I said, what do you know? Are there things you can't tell me? He said, no, but I'm just not uh, willing to do that. So that's a huge, interesting thing. Part of the issue is U.S. flagged vessels. Nobody, no foreign, no London-based carriers wants to or maybe will insure U.S.-owned, U.S. flagged vessels in U.S. waters. And so there can be some advantage to using a foreign flag like Maritime Cook Islands, Cook Islands Yacht Squadron, which I used before. The United States is an incredibly litigious society. People sue for sneezing and expect big payouts. And so because of that, very few international underwriters will talk to you. So there are some options. Um, I don't, do you know about the winds? Well, someone in New Zealand just sent me a very, very good, super detailed, I'll send it to you as soon as we're done, super detailed, it must be 10 pages long description of the problems they've had 
getting insurance and the problems their followers have had. There are some, there's some misinformation in it, but there is 90% of it is super valuable and quite up to date. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I do follow them on YouTube, and I remember them talking about the insurance because they are American and they were in South Pacific and New Zealand, and it, you know, they had had insurance for a long time, and then all of a sudden, I don't remember the details, but it was like, oh, it's really difficult. The prices doubled. The prices doubled. Difficult to renew. So what we end up doing is getting down to resorts of last option, options of last resort. I got that wrong, but what I'm finding now is that. We have to be very, very careful when we are using underwriters of last resort, meaning European or wherever, because they are not always reputable. And so we have to do our research. We have to ask. We have to Google. We have to really do a deep dive because, well, there's two things here. You have to have insurance because the entire European Union won't let you in. Mexico won't let you in. Most of the countries in the world, almost all of the marinas in the world won't let you in. But you can go with liability only. And we talked about that in the insurance podcast that I did with you. So that's still an option. But you and I will have our life savings likely in our boat. And if we lose it, you know, starting over again from scratch, it's okay if you're 21 years old, but if you're 40 years old or 50 years old, you want to, don't want to do that. So you just have to be really careful that the underwriter is actually going to pay off if there's a loss because they don't always. And I've had clients who've had major losses and their underwriters have said, sorry, the best example is brand new Hylus 46. Clients who had crossed the Atlantic with me in a training voyage, they had the boat built. The boat was hauled out in New Zealand they were going to follow me up to Tahiti in the Roaring Forties. And um, so they hauled out for two days just to paint the bottom before they left for Tahiti. The boatyard in Tauranga, Tauranga Bridge Marina, only put half as many jack stands as the jack stand manufacturer says you need for a boat that is 46 feet long and weighs 30,000 pounds. They got 12 knots of wind. The boat started rocking back and forth. The jack stand slid out. The boat crashed over. It should have been a total loss, but it wasn't there. So they called their insurance agent who contacted the broker who was in Madrid. And they said, sorry, we're not honoring the claim because you didn't tell us you were going to haul out. Well, this guy was actually a lawyer. And so <laughs> it was really surprising. But uh, so he investigated his options. He said, well, told the agent, well, let's let's uh Let's sue the underwriter. And the underwriter says, yeah, you signed that we would go to court in Madrid. You're welcome to sue us. <laughs> so uh, then amazingly, Taranga Bridge Marina Boatyard, their insurance paid off 100%. It took nine months and I didn't hear the numbers, but I'm sure at least two or $300,000, if not more, to rebuild the boat. But they got the boat rebuilt better than new, and they completed their circumnavigation. They sold the boat in Florida, and they are now living in Madeira. But that was a long way of getting to the point of saying, if you use a non-North American underwriter, the agent doesn't matter. It's the underwriter that matters. You have no, 
you have no recourse or you have very minimal recourses if you have a loss. So, yeah, insurance is definitely one of those things. It's just it's usually bad news, and it's it's usually a little bit terrifying uh, to think about. But uh, you mentioned something there that for U.S. flagged boats, it's particularly difficult now in the Pacific Basin. And uh, you mentioned the offshore yacht registry before as well. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit and ask a couple of kind of basic questions because I've actually never really thought about this. Like, yes, I knew that I need to register a boat somewhere which I assume would be for me, Canada, or maybe Finland, because I'm also a citizen there. But uh, I thought the only consideration is whoever has the lowest tax. So what goes into this? Can I actually register the boat anywhere? And does it matter? Does it make a difference? It makes a big difference. You can't register the boat anywhere. There are a handful of options, foreign registry options, offshore options, some of which are atrocious and cheap, some of which are super good. So you just need to do your research there. Um, My clients are always researching that um, because a lot of them don't want to pay the tax in the country that they live or that they buy the boat. My Russian clients are the most famous for this. And the Russians came up with one of the best alternatives, which is Isle of Man. Isle of Man is one of the Channel Islands located between France and England, and they have a very good registry that's very inexpensive. The most common would be the British Virgin Islands. BVI's registry for yachts is really common. But with BVI registry and with a lot of offshore registries, you have to form a corporation in that company. You have to hire an attorney and you have to have There's just a whole bunch of complication and annual cost that goes with that. So the reason that I like Cook Island Yacht Squadron is you don't have to do any of that. It's not a dodgy flag that raises the red flags in the customs office when you're clearing into a foreign port. It has a super respectable, uh, it's a very respected, legitimate flag, but it's also quite inexpensive. Now for registering in Canada, I don't think you have any annual fees to have a yacht registered in Canada. The U.S. doesn't. I don't know about Finland. Uh, Britain, Great Britain doesn't if you have a British flag. But um, a lot of countries do. And that's one of the things. So there's multiple options. There are yacht registry brokers around the world and in North America that I work with who can sell you registry in multiple countries and know for your your passport your your nationality what would be the best option and what you're trying to do some people are trying to provide more liability screen if in case they get sued that actually doesn't really work doesn't really do much some people are trying to avoid taxes Um, and if you're not going to have the boat in your country of citizenship why should you pay Canada? What's the total? What's the total when you add all the? I mean, it's horrendous. And so a lot of Canadians will buy a boat in the U.S., in Europe, in the Caribbean, and never take it to Canada. So there's there's lots of options there. But having the foreign flag opens you to legitimate foreign London-based insurers. Canada doesn't have the same problem that uh, the U.S. has, not to the same extent. Um, and there are some really good, I have good Canadian brokers in Vancouver and in Toronto who you need to talk to. And we mentioned that earlier. 
Yeah, that's certainly something to think about as well. And and good to know that it doesn't have to be your country or residence or citizenship and that it may be uh, in some ways, especially for Americans, even more advantageous if it's not an American flag boat for, for those reasons. Uh, so yeah, uh, again, learned something new, which is usually the case when we chat. So that's great. I, I want to put one more little plug in for Maritime Cook Islands. And it's important for your listeners to know, I don't accept any compensation from any company or persons whose services I recommend. That's just how I work. So it sounds like I'm plugging Maritime Cook Islands. I did meet with them um, last week or two weeks ago, and I do have a lot of respect for them. It's an interesting company. It's all women run. So all of the people are women and they're almost all Pacific Islanders from different, so uh, Tahitian or Cook Island or from Niue. So it's really fun to, to, they're they're super responsive. So I wanted to talk about the state of the market these days. As you mentioned, the supply of sailboats, both in the South Pacific area as well as North America, is um, somewhat limited at the moment. And to me, it seems like the prices continue to be quite high. Uh, Am I just being too picky or what is happening now with the used sailboat market? (laughs) Annika, you are not being too picky. And it is always in a state of flux. The flux that I'm seeing, that I'm hearing from my the brokers I work with, from the, my clients, is that it's a little less intense in Europe now. Europe is experiencing, as you well know, a bit of a recession, more than America is not for some reason. It's, I, it probably will come. I'm still seeing it's actually a little better than it was when we last talked. And there are right now, there are two boats that just came on the market in Seattle. I've been on one. I'm going to, as soon as I can, check out the other one. There are two boats that I think are exceptional values. And some of your listeners will think that I'm goofy recommending Benetos, but there's a Beneteau 423, which I think was a breakthrough boat for Beneteau. It's better than just than any boat they built since then that whole three series possibly 373 still have to go board and check one out but for sure the 393 423 473 and then earlier the beneteau 500 or beneteau 50. Um, but there's a 423 that just listed within about four days ago at signature yachts in seattle for i think it's 129 or 139 and it's not pristine, but it looks solid. It looks good. There's a Beneteau 473 that I was on last week in Seattle. That's 199. And that is a phenomenal value. It's built in 2000. Uh, that one's built in 2001. The 423 is built in 2007. So they have low engine hours. They have had upgrades. They have solar. They have good Dodgers. You're still, you're not going to have to repower. Repower as we talked about, is the deal breaker. That's $40,000 if you have to repower. So you don't have to repower. The electronics are not 40 years old. They're 25 years old. You can sail with them. They're fine. Yeah, they're totally workable boats. You need to know, as I talked earlier, if you run them into rock, you're going to have a $50,000 repair bill. So you have to be careful. They have a cast iron keel, not lead. 
They're not built to go around Cape Horn. I wouldn't recommend them if you want to sail to Iceland. But they're, you know, they're, you have to understand there's a boat for every purpose. A lot of us have ideals that our budget does not support, right? And so we have to be realistic. And, and we talked earlier about the value of not buying a boat where you have to spend more than you paid for the boat and two to three years rebuilding all the systems, repowering on and on and on. The other kind of cool thing about this three series of Benetos is the rudder shafts are not pipes. They're not metal, they're fiberglass. And I've never heard of a Beneteau of that series losing a rudder. That is a really important deal. Um, so anyway, those are just two super value boats um, that I came across. I'm probably going to rewrite the whole ebook that I have. I think you have a link to selecting and purchasing an ocean cruising boat. I'm, I need to rewrite that to be a little bit more inclusive. I'm actually recommending recent model Catalinas. Don't laugh. There's a Catalina, Catalina 36 Mark II just came on the market in Sydney, British Columbia, near north of Victoria. Super priced, super clean looking boat. It has only 27 gallons of fuel. That's a downside to a flattish bottom boat that's recent, whether it's a Beneteau or a Catalina. But the new Catalinas, the 400 Mark II, but all of the Mark IIs, the 2000, ideally 2005 or newer Catalinas, they all have lead keels. They are actually amazingly well built. I'm seeing those offshore. Australians love them. So I'm, I met one Aussie who had just come and purchased their second Catalina 420 or whatever it was in Los Angeles. And we're sailing it home to Australia to sell it for enough more than they pay for it to pay for the cruise. Aussies love them. So they are not as solid as a Garcia or as an Allure's or as a Oyster, but they cost a fraction as much. They're, they're new or newer and they are workable. And so we have to be realistic in what we can afford. So there are sleepers out there. The market isn't as tight as it was uh, six months ago or even three months ago. Yeah, and, and, and maybe the winter uh, has something to do with that as well. I'm hoping in come springtime, there will be more boats popping up, no more listings. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah, I, I do like the Catalinas. Uh, we went sailing a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, in British Columbia on Catalina 400. And uh, it was just a gorgeous, beautiful boat with dual steering wheels. And uh, it was delightful. <laughs> yeah, the Catalina ticks a lot of boxes. They do their, their wiring and their plumbing and their engine installation and their refrigeration. Reminds me a lot of Island Packet. Super high quality. They use the best possible components, the best refrigeration systems, the best electrical systems. The company, one thing that's a bonus with Catalina is there are there must be 50,000 Catalina owners and the company supports them. And so I just had someone who bought a I think Catalina 400 Mark II and the boat needed to be re, you know, the rigging was more than 10 or 12 years old and they were headed offshore. They need to replace it. They said, we call Catalina. And it was like three grand 
already made up, already on the shelf at Catalina Yachts, and they just shipped it to us. And the quote that we got to have the boat re-rigged from a local high-quality rigger was, I don't know, $12,000 or something like that. And so there are advantages. Hubbard Grassy is the same way because they have the separate company, HR Parts. They have all the stuff on the shelf. It's sometimes there's advantage to buying a boat from a company that's still in business, like Island Packet, where they have the stuff and they can ship it and it's not a big deal. And so that level of support is very rare. Oyster does that. Uh, some companies are really good about support. Other companies are horrendously, I, I, I know some really sad stories of things that should have, you know, you spend $800,000 in a boat and something breaks when the boat's only four years old and the factory, the boatyard doesn't stand behind it. It's like, okay, I don't forget these things. I don't ever publicize them, but I, if you are going to order or thinking about buying one of those boats, it's a fact that I will share with you. Yeah, exactly. And, and certainly if the company is no longer in production anyway, then... That's 90% of the companies. Well, exactly. <laughs> Not that many boat makers out there uh, in the end uh, anymore. But um, essentially, I mean, I guess the prices have gone up over the pandemic, of course, just because there was so much demand for boats. And uh, now we're dealing with inflation and possible recession and all sorts of fun economical uh, situations. But uh, I'm sure still some buyers are thinking about you know, relying on some additional financing to to make the sailboat trim happen, especially with younger people now getting more into boat buying um, plans. And you mentioned to me earlier that you had recently connected with the U.S. mortgage broker company and that they had some thoughts on going offshore with a yacht um, when there's a mortgage. So tell me about that. Swisher Yachts had a 20-year anniversary party and invited people in the industry and clients and customers. Uh, one of the people there was the Northwest rep for Trident. It's called Trident Funding and specialists in marine financing. Well, Swisher uses and recommends them a lot. And whoever they trust, since they've been in the business for a long time, I know that it's going to be trustworthy and I can recommend. So I went online and it's just... Uh, so they have regional offices, unfortunately, none in Canada, but around the U.S., they have regional offices and they do a lot of uh, boat lending. So I asked this woman boats to go offshore and she said, that is a huge problem. I have one, they work with 15 different lenders. So they're a mortgage broker. And she said, one of my 15 lenders will, but only for six months and the boat has to have a transponder on it. So they've gotten burned before. And I've seen this happen where cruisers go with a loan and then they just say, well, we're not going to pay the loan anymore. They've got to come and get the boat. They will come and get the boat. And so finding financing for offshore for more than six months is highly unlikely. And so that is a deal changer, just like the lack of insurance is, is for a lot of cruisers. So I have cruisers say, um, our budget's $400,000. We have $200,000 and we're going to finance the rest. And I say, well, Good luck. That's not realistic. That's not going to happen. And so now all of a sudden they have a $200,000 budget. And that means a $125,000 to $150,000 boat, depending on the age of it and how much refit. And so that's an adjustment. It's just reality. We don't, we don't write these rules. 
we just have to deal with them. We have exactly. to deal with reality. Exactly, we just suffer the so, consequences. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, these are businesses and they would insure you for offshore if it was a wise, prudent business. Somebody would if it was a wise, prudent business decision. Yeah, no, it takes a, a little bit of advanced planning, or at least that will make the wholesaling thing a whole lot easier if you can plan ahead a little bit. So, you know, we've talked about these before, maybe own a small boat locally, and then upgrade to a bigger one, go offshore, build that, uh, you know, trust with the insurance uh, world and, and all that. So um, I will definitely link the, our previous discussions on these topics uh, as well. So people can go check those out. But the last thing I wanted to chat to you about what is the offshore cruising seminars you are known for. And you've done many, many of these in person. 176 since 1976. Okay, so that's a couple. Yeah, that's a couple. <laughs> well, now you are making this in a new virtual format so that it can be accessed by anyone anywhere in the world and it, you don't have to be in the same place as you. And I've had a sneak peek at the content and there is just hours and hours of videos to watch and a, and a book of over 200 pages uh, to go through about all these topics that we've talked about on the podcast, like boat selection, rigging, customs, diesel engines, and, and just everything. And I wanted to get your thoughts on who would you say this virtual cruising seminar is for? Well, I used to do seven offshore cruising seminars around the North America, from Toronto to Florida to Vancouver to San Diego a year. I only do two now. I do one every March, second weekend of March at the Marine Technical Center in Anacortes, just south of Vancouver, which is fabulous location with all of the engines there. It's hands-on, two days workshop. I love it because I can pull in the best instructors from uh, all over. And then I, Annapolis Boat Show every October. So just those two. And so I have a lot of uh, clients in all over the world, from China to Russia to uh, South Africa. And so now I've wanted for 30 years to have a virtual version of the seminar. And it all happened because of Julie and Gio, these clients who are amazing, who are just leaving for Mexico on the Mall of 39 that they bought from other clients of mine. Anyway, Julie spent an amazing amount of time putting this together. We did four days of filming at the Marine Technical Center with two camera crews and two sets of instructors going at the same time for four days. And then Julia spent months editing that and it's all available now. And so 10 hours, 270 page offshore cruising course book that goes with it and um, $249. So how can you beat that? And it's virtual, Julie's got it. So all I have to do is just email you the link and then you have access forever to download. And, and then there's just tons and tons of links to additional information as well. And we'll, we'll be updating it continuously. And this is the, the future because I'm looking forward to doing more skiing and more exploring and camping and hiking and traveling and let fewer boat shows. And so this is uh, this working out really well. Yeah, absolutely. It looks great. And I like this format of having something on demand when, you know, you can 
watch at your own pace, take your own notes. You don't have to be within a specific weekend in a certain location. So I think uh, this is quite a popular format these days. And the link is, uh, or the details are on the mahina.com website. That's correct, right? It's just mahina.com slash seminars. We mentioned on the earlier podcast, there are a ton we keep putting up more and more resources on that. So if you go to mahina.com slash seminar, scroll to the bottom, and then you will see a ton of hyperlinks to um, documents, like to um, a logbook template, to an engine log template, to my paper on seasickness. All this stuff is there. And then if you go to mahina.com, I think it's slash book, there's the ebook, Selecting and Purchasing an Ocean Cruising Sailboat. And um, that's available. All that stuff's free. The only thing that I'm charging for is the consultation, which is still $950 to help you forever, even while you're cruising, and help you sell the boat, finding, outfitting, cruising, selling the boat. And then the offshore sail training expeditions that I'm doing four sets of around the world every year. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for tuning in again. I've put the links John mentioned in the description. So if you want to check out anything and everything we talked about in this episode, you will find it all there. With this, I wish you all a lovely holiday season. And if you do have a moment, I would really appreciate that Apple podcast review. As always, thank you for listening and I will see you again next year. Bye for now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.